Today, we're actually going to talk about the candy cane. Did anybody notice there were free candy canes out there on the tree? Yeah, we got some kids that are excited. And we let you bring it in the auditorium with you to eat it. How about that, Facebook Live? Uh, and so uh, the candy cane has a lot of, uh, of significance to it. Um, it's actually supposed to be shaped like a uh, shepherd's staff. A lot of people, I mean, I guess it can be both if you want it to be. Some people say it's shaped like a J for Jesus which is cool if that's the case, but I've, it's actually intended to be a shepherd's staff. Uh, and so today I want to tell you the story of how it got started, figure out how we can utilize that story to grow and what we're called to do as Christ followers, and then I want to send you home with the symbols and help you understand how to use that symbol for your family and maybe even for your own walk with Christ. So the folklore behind the candy cane started in Germany in 1670, uh, and it was initially created to keep kids quiet. Can I get an amen? Uh, the choir director in 1670 uh, in Germany was doing like the nativity scene and doing like a whole event with the, with the choir and it's going to be a jam session. We're like, ah, oh, however they did it in 1670, uh, drop the beat. And so I'm pretty sure that's historically accurate. Uh, and in the process of that, uh, he's realizing that kids are sometimes noisy, which is not true here at the Brick, because you guys so far have been really good at the 1130, not being super noisy in the midst of the 1130, so kudos to you guys. But apparently German kids in 1670 couldn't keep their mouths shut, and the choir director is like, I'll give them candy to shut them up so we can talk about Christmas. And then he's like, well, <laughs> parents might be offended by that, right? Like, uh, you can't give, like, we allow candy in the auditorium, but they may not be so cool with kids eating candy while we're trying to do this holy thing with the nativity and stuff. So he's like, I know how I'll get the parents on board. I'm going to shape it like a shepherd's staff. I'm going to make it white, and I'm going to actually uh, put red on it so that I can use it as a teaching tool. So he went down to the candy shop, never been done before. He said, hey, you got those candy sticks? He's like, I want them in white, and I want you to make them like this, and then I want you to add red around it. And then he utilized it to keep the kids quiet and simultaneously teach them about the shepherds that were there at the birth of Jesus. That's pretty cool. Like, I'm impressed with his creativity. And what sometimes happens uh, in, in American Christianity is sometimes we have a tendency to, to think about problems and not solutions. And I really like the fact that he was thinking about what was going on. And you know what he could have been like? He could have just been like, well, parents need to discipline their kids. Like, you know, you probably there's probably pastors somewhere here in town that would think like that. Oh, these kids are noisy because Americans these days don't know how to discipline their kids and keep their kids quiet in church, right? He could have thought a lot of negative things and just been upset about it. It is what it is. I don't want to do this anymore. There's a lot of spirals he could have gone down, but instead he saw the problem and came up with a solution. Not only did he come up with a solution, he actually came up with a solution that was so good it became an opportunity to teach them about Jesus which is even more cool. So what if today we take that story and we decide that instead of seeing problems, we start to ask God to show us solutions? Throughout, throughout all of the Bible, there were many times that the, the worst of the worst problems were just opportunities for God to show up and do something cool, right? All throughout the Bible, it's like, oh, wow, there's all these people coming against God's people. Let me go get Gideon, who's a nobody and can't do this thing, and show the world how I can innovate and how I can get glory for what's going on. Oh, no, my people are enslaved. Let me go get Moses in the shepherd's field. Shepherd, there's a lot of shepherds here. Let's go, let's go get Moses in the shepherd field and utilize him to set my people free. It seemed like a massive 
unfixable problem, and God is saying, no, 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 that's an opportunity for people to see me. And so today, I want you to see that in your life. I want, I want you to, to change the way you see the world. Instead of seeing problems, you start to see them as opportunities, right? And uh, to do that, you really kind of have to assess your motives, kind of like the disciples had to do. Now, what we're going to look at is a scene uh, where Jesus and his disciples are walking by, and the disciples have a question about a blind man. Here's what it says in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It said, And Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, disciples, Jesus, problem, right? We've got a problem. There's a guy who's blind. Why does this problem exist, Jesus? Why is this problem here? They're asking why, but I would suggest that the reason they're asking why is maybe not from the purest of motives. Why in the world, as disciples, are you asking Jesus why this guy's blind? Unless you're asking to feel justified in the problem itself. Unless you're like the, choir, the, the wrong choir director who's like, kids are just kids and they be noisy so that it is what it is, just bad parenting, right? I don't, I'm not going to come up with a solution. Now I know why the problem exists so I can just move on without my life and do nothing about it. I can just become complacent in the problem. I can just walk on. And I would suggest that maybe just maybe the disciples are asking Jesus, why is this guy blind? Because they want a justification to walk by, right? If, if, if you see a blind guy, who in their society doesn't have uh, social security disability to fall back on, who just has to kind of beg and survive. There's not a, a, a social safety net for him. It's only by the good grace of people that walk by that he survives because he has no use in their society. Then it would be easy if you could have a good excuse for why you could continue to walk on by instead of giving your hard-earned money to him. And if the excuse is, well, he sinned, so he's actually you know, just suffering the consequences of his actions. Now, this guy clearly says he was born from his birth. So I have no idea what the disciples were thinking to ask if he had sinned. Right? From his birth, he, sin he sinned in the womb. Is that what you're saying, disciples? Jesus, this man sinned in the womb, or maybe they're Buddhists or Hindu, and maybe they think he had a previous life. I don't know what's going on with the disciples. It's part of the reason I think they're asking silly questions and asking not thoughtful questions. They're trying to justify their motives. Well, if it's his parents that sinned, then we're just doing God's work by continuing to let him suffer the consequences so that people can know that general, generational curses exist. So we can just move on because this is God's will for him, and so I can continue to walk on. And so what, what I want to challenge you to recognize is maybe, I'm, I'm saying ask all the questions. I'm, I'm a question asker. I ask too many questions. I got on my mom's nerves growing up. I get on my wife's nerves now. I got on my, any boss I've ever had, I get on their nerves because I ask questions. I used to work with my grandpa, and he would just get frustrated, like, just do what I told you to do. Stop asking why or how. Just do the job. And I was like, but I need to understand everything before I can do it. Um, so I get that. So I'm, I'm down for all the questions. But you also have to ask a second layer of questions where you check your motives, where you ask of yourself, why am I even asking? Because if you're the, like the disciples and you're asking to, to not hear the voice of God and not, not really cause a solution, not really do anything different, then you're probably just asking questions so that you can justify your complacency and your inaction. And Jesus doesn't respond that way. Here's what happens in uh, John chapter 3 and 4, or 
chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So this is an, there's an interesting interpretation here. Jesus is like, hey, this guy didn't sin, neither did his parents. He kind of answers what you're thinking happened is not what happened. And then he, there's a colon there. If you notice up in, in verse 3, it says, nor his parents. There's a colon. It's like a hard stop. And it's interesting because different translations say different things about this passage, uh, and different theologians would probably discuss what it means. And the one interpretation is to suggest that Jesus is saying why this happened. That his next response, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, is explaining why he's blind. Right? That's a very common interpretation. Well, the reason he's blind is for this very moment so that I can be revealed in him and through him and all this thing that's going to happen. That's why he's blind. I would argue that that's not what Jesus is saying. I would argue that the interpretation of the King James, which is why we're using the King James, is because I like their translation better. I don't normally say cometh or, uh, you know, hath. I mean, sometimes, but not very often. Uh, And so the reason I I use King James today is because I I think it's more accurate in what the original language is saying. The original language doesn't make it clear as to whether he's saying this happened, I'm explaining the answer to the question about this happened, or I'm, I'm moving on to the next thing. And I think he's moving on to the next thing to say, hey, that's not why it happened. But so, much, so that the work that I'm called to do can be done, let's do this thing right now. Right? So, that, so that we can do what we're called to do, let's heal this guy. So he's, this is the scene where he spits in the dirt, puts on his eyes, tell, tells him to go to the pool, sell him, wash off, and the man's able to see again. And so what I would suggest, which is there's a precedence for this, where Jesus actually doesn't answer the question. He focuses on who we're called to be and how we're called to act. So in, in the, the story of the Good Samaritan, the guy asks him, um, you know, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, if you look through the story, he never answers the question, who is my neighbor? He answers the question, how am I supposed to be a good neighbor? Like a good neighbor, stay firm is there. I got ADD. So... That didn't even happen to the 10. Y'all got that bonus song for nothing. He, he avoids, he's basically saying to them in this verse and, and in the, the Good Samaritan, you're asking the wrong questions. The question you're asking isn't going to solve the problem. The question you should be asking is, what am I supposed to do in this moment? And while there's still daylight, I'm still called to work. While there's still a solution to this problem, I'm called to to be a part of the solution. I don't think he's ever answering why the man is blind. I don't think he gives them that answer. I think he's saying to them, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for justification, and I'm going to shoot that down. It wasn't because of those things. Let's move on to what we can do, though. I don't think he ever answers to them why the man was born blind. I think he's saying some things on this earth, in this life, you aren't going to know why they happen, but you can know how you're supposed to respond. So I want to I challenge you with this question if you're taking notes, and that is, how can I be a part of the solution? That's the question that you eventually need to get to. You can ask all the questions about the problem. You can ask all the reasons why it exists, why kids act up during the choir service, the nativity scene, why it exists. But eventually, you need to get to, what God, what have you called me to do about it? What, what part am I called to play in what has taken place, the problem that exists in our world, the society we live in? How can I be a part of the solution? That's the eventual question that I think Jesus is going to answer for you if you'll ask him. He may never 
unfortunately, on this side of heaven, he may never answer why that thing happened to you when you were a kid. You may never get the answer to that, but I promise you, if you'll listen and you'll talk to him, he'll answer how you're going to use that thing to bring other people deliverance. You may never understand why that person treated you that way in your marriage or why they, they left you or why they had an affair. You may never get the answer to that on this side of heaven, but I promise, I promise, if you'll listen to him, he'll tell you ways that you can help other people work through that, fight through that and get deliverance from that. You may not understand why you ended up addicted. You may not understand why you wrestled through depression. You may not understand why your finances fell apart, why you lost your job. You may not get that answer on this side of heaven. But if you'll listen to God and hear what he's calling you to do, he will answer the question, but what am I supposed to do now? How can I be a part of the solution now? How can I do something that God has called me to do? I don't, I don't know why the man's blind, but I know what I can do now in this moment to bring healing. I don't know why the kids are acting up in the middle of the nativity scene when it's a really special moment, it's a really cool teaching, but I know I can go get some candy made and teach them about Jesus in the process of keeping them quiet. And so for you, God has given you all the right answers that you need in order to do the thing that you've been called to do. Every single time, he'll answer you one step at a time. You are a part of the solution. You're called to be a part of the solution. Don't get lost in your motives to be complacent, to be stagnant, to not move because you don't know why. Figure out what he's called you to do and take the step. Now, so course this is a shepherd's staff the candy cane symbols have a couple i really am going to focus on the shepherd's staff it also obviously has the white the purity of jesus the sacrifice that he was the pure spotless lamb and then the red represents the blood that was on the cross but today i really want to focus on the shepherd's staff um, the shepherd's staff is a powerful symbol throughout or the shepherding in general is a powerful symbol that's used throughout scripture i mean from the beginning all the way through we have all of these illustrations for shepherding which is kind of weird because shepherding is not a glamorous job it's not it's not like you don't get promoted to shepherding there's no i mean there's nowhere to go but up as a shepherd like all throughout scripture david's in the shepherd's field because he's the youngest like he's the youngest of eight you're not old enough to go to war so you go take care of the sheep but i'm but i'm gonna be the king no no no. go take care of the sheep and all throughout like moses gets demoted from the palace in egypt and he messes up and he gets out in a field and that's the, like he you can't get lower than a shepherd and that's the illustration that we get used. That's the symbol that we see is like this lowest job, this terrible job that we've got. And yet, not only is it glorified in Scripture, that low of the low jobs actually gets to be there at the birth of Jesus. See, in, in Luke chapter 2, we find out that there are shepherds in a field who probably, man, they probably don't think too highly of themselves. And yet, while they're out there living in the field, taking care of the sheep, an angel shows up to give them this announcement. This is what happens in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I, that would have been one, I, I don't, I, so I got a lot of questions and some of these are little, little rants on the side that are just bonus again because I have attention issues. But I, am, I can't imagine how that felt to have God speak to you while you're in the lowest of the low. Like, 
the worst job you can think of, the one that's looked down upon the most in our society, that's what they're doing, and that's where God shows up at. So maybe the application is no matter where you're at, God's still willing to show up. No matter what you're going through, how important you feel like you are, don't worry, God can still show up. He showed up in the shepherd's field, he'll show up in your field. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. But I can't imagine to, to, to experience that out in the field. Like, and not only one angel, it says a multitude showed up and they start singing. Like, I don't know, I don't know what all the angels singing sounds like. I'm hoping it's like that ludicrous song that, that dropped on, on, the, on our intro video, something similar to that. And they drop a beat and you got an angel. Now that's, that's ridiculous, Jared. Yeah, stop. Stop it. Uh, ADD is strong with this one. Let's move on. Um, I don't know what that's like, but I imagine if I were there, I would have some questions like, did y'all just see that? Like, did, did you, you saw what, did we have a mass hallucination or was that real? Like, I know there were mushrooms in our dinner. Were those the wrong kind of mushrooms? Like, did somebody, did somebody do something to us? What just happened in this moment for us? And they say like, let's go check this thing out. Like, I don't know if they, uh, there's no scripture to tell me for sure. I don't know if they needed to verify it because they thought they might be crazy, but they needed to verify it. And they went to check it out and found it just exactly the way that the angel told them. So they had confirmation that it was God. It was the angels. And that this baby is exactly this, this baby in the manger, like in the barn, you're talking about, that's the guy who's going to bring goodwill and peace towards men. They're like, yeah, that, that's who I need you to go kneel down to. No, okay, we're already in the lowest of the lowest field. Now you want us to go to a baby and kneel down to a baby that's stuck in the barn with all the animals? Yeah, that's what you're called to do. See, because the, the, the shepherding is such a beautiful illustration that Scripture uses o- over and over again. And I really want to redeem today the shepherd's staff through the candy cane. And I want you to see this candy cane for the rest of your life a little bit different. And I want you to be able to explain it to other people and use this symbol to challenge people. See, because at the outset, the the shepherd's staff might feel a little bit uncomfortable because the illustration that God is using or the illustration with the shepherd's staff and having a shepherd is that you're having to be guided. And if you're having to be guided, what is is the shepherd going to use to guide you? It's the it's the shepherd's staff. Like this is, this is twofold. It's to guide the sheep and it's also to save the sheep. There's a hook in this and this hook is actually uh, very intentional by the shepherd. If the, if the sheep who is supposed to be a metaphor for us, they're kind of dumb. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. We really appreciate the analogy of how stupid we are that we just so happen to just get too busy eating in the field that we fall off the side of the cliff and get stuck in a wedge and you need a hook in there to pick us up because we got so fat eating that you can't just kneel down and do it. You need a little extra help with the shepherd's staff. Really cool of you, Jesus, to view us with such high regard. But it's not really like a comforting, it's not really a comforting vision to, to think of like when I'm trying to eat and I'm trying to grub and chill and then I got this staff on me like, get off of me, Jesus. Like, why are you, what, get off of me. Like, he's like pushing you and this, it's guy, like they don't have sheepdog yet. So they have to have something to, to, to get the sheep to go where they're going because again, in case you missed it, sheep are dumb. They don't, they don't, they don't know what to do. They get lost on their own, just accidentally get lost. That's pretty dumb. Uh, and God is guiding them. And it's probably kind of annoying. So it's kind of a weird illustration. It's kind of weird to think about the guidance of God in our life being Him pushing us. And it's really kind of uncomfortable until we start to learn 
who that shepherd is. And it's, it's kind of uncomfortable until we start to learn his voice, until we start to be able to hear. Now, I watched uh, a bunch of videos this week in preparation for this message and because I get lost in the rabbit hole of YouTube. And it, this week, I saw several videos of, of sheep. And, and on tour, people would be showing the sheep and stuff, and they would say, hey, you call the sheep. And the sheep would not listen, wouldn't pay attention. And then whenever it was the shepherd of those sheep started to call, do the same exact thing, they would all look up and come running. The scripture says, my sheep know my voice. They got to know me, and so they're willing to put up with the shepherd's staff because they heard my voice. Uh, what, what's cool, one, one illustration that's cool in the video that I actually want you to see is even in the dark, even whenever you can't really see really well, if you can just hear the voice of the shepherd, it's worth running towards. It's, it's worth making a move. And now these sheep are in Norway. The reason I know they're in Norway is because of the comment thread in YouTube. And there is mist all along the hillside. Like you, the sheep can't see where they're going, where they're supposed to go. And then the shepherd starts to call. Let's check it out. Someone said, I heard someone say, I'm the one in the very back. Hey, he loves you too. It's good. He loves you too, even if you are in the back. But then even in the midst on the hillside, when it's dark, they heard, they heard the shepherd's voice. He, Jesus said that I'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. I heard a, an interview this week of a worship pastor who was who was actually really successful really early on at a really young age. She actually wrote a song and like at 13, by the time it was 16, it ended up on Grey's Anatomy. Like, that would be pretty cool as a songwriter. And so she's being interviewed and she said, I heard God tell me that I need to lead worship at this church and I didn't want to do it, right? Like, I don't, <laughs> I, you can be holier than thou if you want to, but there are many times where God tells me I don't want, it's some stuff I don't want to do. Like, I'm the sheep and I'm like, hey, this is my, that grass over there looks real good. Don't be pushing me away from it because it looks delicious, right? There's many times God is saying some things to us and we don't, we don't want to hear it. Like, y'all don't, y'all don't talk about like, hey, there's some things that you need to wait until you're married for. And you're like, oh, you don't know me, Jesus. Hold up. Like, there's some, there's some ways you need to spend your money that I'm called you to, to save and budget and be good stewards of your finances. You're like, oh, Jesus, I know I need, <laughs> if I'm trying to date and get a spouse. I probably should, you know, have some nice clothes. So, you know, this ain't, what are you trying to get me to do? Have you seen the car I drive? Have you seen how I look? I ain't got no chance with my looks. I got to have some nice clothes. Like there's so many times where God is calling us to do something. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense to, to listen to what he's telling us to do because it seems outside of all that we want and all the norms around us. And when they were asking her about this decision to, to kind of sacrifice some of her time in a very successful career to, 
to end up leading worship at just a, just a church. Just You could be famous out there, but now you're just going to get in front of people and sing to Jesus. You're going to try to make Jesus famous when you can be famous. And she was like, I didn't really want to do it. She's like, but I, I did it because I, heard, I knew it was God and I heard his voice. And she said, I knew that, I knew that if, if, I, maybe, if I didn't listen this time, it might, might make it harder to hear him next time. And because, because his voice is so important to me, because I didn't want to get outside of hearing his voice and hearing his call on my life, I did the small hard thing because I wanted to be able to do the big things God had called me to do. And so for her, she said, they were like, well, how do you, how do you hear the voice of God? And she's like, honestly, the first way you start is get in, in scripture and learn the heartbeat of God so you understand how he talks and how he thinks. There's so many decisions in life. I don't even have to second guess because I know how God thinks and I know the way that he would call me to respond in this situation. So much so that I can now start to hear him in the little things that may not be clear through scripture, but they are clear through his heart and through his leaning on my heart. And so in that moment where I could have gone and done other things and I felt him leaning on my heart, I wanted to do it because I heard the voice of God and I liked the voice of God. What she was saying is that uncomfortable push actually started to become comfortable to me. That, that shepherd's staff push to redirect me into things that I don't really, she's like, I don't want to do it. She didn't lie about it. She wasn't like, oh, I'm so holy. I love doing whatever God calls me to do. No, she was like, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. There's a similar, uh, similar vibe in Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. And David says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. We haven't even talked about the rod. The rod is, a, is another tool that a, a shepherd is going to use, and it's, it's really meant for abuse. It's meant to hit. This is, this is meant to guide and to save. And then there's another weapon that he's using to hit. And David's saying, oh, that comforts me. See, because David knew who God was and knew the heart of God. See, you don't trust the direction of God until you know the shepherd's good. You don't trust the shepherd. Get off of me with that stick. I don't know you. I don't know what you want me to do. But the second you find out he's got good things for you, the second you find out that he wants, the, he wants you in the best fields, he's trying to protect you from the, the, from the rocks, and he's trying to protect you from the places you're going to get stuck and lost. He's trying to get you to a good place if you'll just listen to his voice. That's when, that's when, You'll go, oh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because then you know the rod wasn't ever intended for the sheep. The rod was intended for the wolves and the lions and the bear. I got my wolf shirt on because I was ready. The, 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 the rod is so that he can protect you from all the other. See, we have all this idea that God's looking for an opportunity to strike us down because he got a, he's got a rod in his hand. And God is saying, no, I'm looking for an opportunity to protect you. I'm looking for an opportunity to guide you. But you will never be comfortable with the hard things he's called you to do until you trust the shepherd who's got the staff. Until you listen and believe that he wants what's best for you. This week, uh, I got really mad at my son. Uh, I was cooking a delicacy that I make because I'm a master chef. It was Kraft mac and cheese. And as I'm cooking it, he likes to drag the stool everywhere where he can take it and wash his hands, get in the sink, take it and watch somebody cooking wherever he wants to get to. He's not supposed to get cookies. He's not allowed to touch. He's got his little stool that he can stand on and get whatever he needs to get. And he was watching me cook. And I told him, hey, this, this pie is hot. Like, don't touch it. 
And I told him a second time because he got a little too close. Like, hey, back off. This is hot. And then when I went to go drain the noodles, because you, you guys probably don't know how to make crap mac and cheese because it's such a delicacy. You have to drain the noodles in the sink. It's complicated. I won't get too far into it. But when I went to drain the noodles, like, get down off the stool. Get down off the stool because I need you away from the stove. I'm like, get, get away from it. And as I'm, I'm draining, I come back to get the, the margarine, and I'm dipping as much margarine as I possibly can. I hear him cry out. And he's, he's, I, don't, I don't see him, but I see him shaking his hand and find out he touched the stove that had just been turned off. And so I'm, 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 I'm running water over his hands, and I'm just mad. I'm, I'm mad. I'm like, so I'm like trying to be empathetic because that's something really low on my uh, emotional intelligence scale. And I'm running water over his hands, and I'm doing the bandage stuff, and we're doing it. I'm like, son, this is why you listen. Like, he's two, and my wife's not in here, so we'll say he gets his stubbornness from my wife. He is two, and he just, he just trusts himself. He just trusts that he can do it. And in that moment, I'm not, I'm not mad at him. I'm mad that he doesn't trust me. I'm mad that he can't listen. And see, today, I, I want you to take this candy cane and I want you to be able to, to, to tell your kids and people at your work and wherever you're at, and I want you to be reminded that even those moments where God's like, why don't you listen? He's not mad at you. He's mad that you don't trust him, that you don't believe he's the good shepherd, that you really don't believe that he's as good as he says he is, that you trust your own way, you trust society's way, but just like I'm mad because my son didn't listen, it's because I don't want to see him get hurt. I don't want to see him get burned. I'm not mad at him. I'm mad that he can't listen and trust me as his dad. And your heavenly father is saying in this moment, trust that I'm good. See, and just like you may not know the answers as to why the kids are acting up when you're the choir director, you don't need to know the answer. You need to know the next step of what he's called you to do because you trust that he's good. You may not know all the things that happened in your life and why they happened. You have a lot of questions for God. And on this side of heaven, you may not get the answer. But because you trust that he's good, you're going to follow him in the steps that he's called you to follow him in. You're going to take the step because you trust that he's good. And until you trust that he's good, until you believe that he's good, the shepherd's staff is never comfortable and it's never worth it. But as soon as you find out, oh, he's got good stuff for me, I'm in. I'll do the hard thing. I'll do the difficult stuff because I know God's leading me somewhere good and helpful. Somewhere good and helpful. All of scripture is trying to prove that God is good. That God is who he says he is. From day one in Genesis, Satan is talking to Eve and he's saying, look, can you really trust God? Can you really trust that he's good? Are you, not, are you sure he's not holding you back? Like, he, he doesn't want you to eat that apple because he knows when you eat that apple, you're going to be somebody. And they we're still wrestling with that same belief over and over again. Like, I, I mean, whatever. I should do this so I don't go to hell. But I don't really know if he's good. I don't really trust that he's good. Like, he don't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to have a good life. He just wants me to sacrifice all the time and be disciplined and do all of these things because I don't really know if he's good. But the second you find out he's really good and he has good plans for you and he's got something for you, the hard thing, the staff that's redirecting you and you don't like it, but then you'll do it anyways because you trust the, the shepherd that holds the staff that's directing you to good pasture. He's directing you away from the pain and the hurt and the struggles that you don't have to go through if you'll just listen to his guidance and trust that no matter where you're at what you're doing if you can just hear his voice in the middle of the midst mist you'll just listen to the step all you got to know is the answer to one step where's that voice coming from i'm going there what's that step i'm called to take that's what i'm gonna do because i want to listen to the voice of god let's pray god i thank you in this moment for all of us that are being reignited with the belief and the passion that you are good
God, that even in the times that it's hard to hear you and the times that it's hard to listen to you, the times that it's, it, it's not really what we want to do, honestly, that even in those times, we're going we're gonna to trust you and we're going to listen to your voice. We're going to follow your lead. Not because the staff that you're directing us with is comfortable, but because we trust you, the one holding it. You're good. And you've got our best interest in mind. With every head bowed, every eye closed, there may be others of you in here who are like, I've not heard the voice of God because I've never decided to follow. Like, I'm, I'm not his sheep yet. I've never got in his fold. I've never really decided to follow him. And today, I, I don't want to leave this place if that's you and you've never decided to follow Jesus without giving you the chance. Because the thing is, is to become one of his sheep, all he requires is that you follow him. You don't have to have a certain look. You don't have to be born to a certain family. You don't have to have a certain amount of money. The thing is, is to be a part of the sheep that are, are God's sheep. All he's saying is, I actually made a way for you to be here. I opened the gate for you to come in to my pasture. And I did that through Jesus on the cross that died for your sins. So no matter how tattered your wool looks, no matter how broken your limbs are, no matter what you've gone through out in the wild, come into my fold. Come and follow me, the good shepherd who will mend your broken ways, who will love you the way you're called to be loved and direct you into good pastures. And maybe today you're convinced for the very first time that he's worth following and you can trust him with your life. 